0: Welcome to the Tokyo Lens Podcast, and as always, if you are a regular listener, welcome back. Back in 2011, one of the biggest earthquakes in history hit Japan. It was quite the experience, and I was here for that. But more than that, ever since then, Japan's been awaiting its next major earthquake. And lately, the news says it's coming soon. In fact, ever since the March 11th earthquake of 2011, the news has been saying that the next major earthquake is coming. And this is kind of the nature of the beast because you can't really predict with any real accuracy, despite all the technology and sensors that are set up when the next one's coming, but you can do your best to be prepared. And so today's episode is going to be talking a little bit about earthquakes, and if you're in Japan, coming to Japan, moving to Japan, or even just interested in Japan, the information that you might find useful. Now, this episode is going to be a bit of a mixed episode. As I'm not a massive fan of purely informational do this, this, this list episodes, what we're going to do is we are going to interject a little bit of stories of previous earthquakes and my experiences along with information that you can use or that might be useful to you if you're going to be here in Japan or just for earthquakes in general. I had promised to do this episode a while back and just never really got around to it, but... Recently, if you turn on the TV, if you're browsing the news, Google, Yahoo, whatever it is, you see the articles again and again saying that the next earthquake is definitely coming. In fact, the last couple of weeks have just been filled with earthquakes here in Japan in and around Tokyo. In fact, there's been more than I can count in the last week or so. So what I want to do is start by giving a couple tips, uh, things that hopefully you'll find useful, some of the obvious stuff uh, right out of the gate that for some people might not be so obvious, especially if you have never in your life experienced an earthquake. So a few basic tips right out of the gate. Number one, first and foremost, if there's an earthquake above all else, watch your head. The majority of injuries and worse that happen during earthquakes come from things falling from above, whether it be bricks, roof tiles, things off a shelf, you name it. So in Japan, a lot of earthquake kits will contain a helmet specifically for this reason. But if you don't have a helmet, even a bike helmet will do, to be honest. But if you do not have one, Just keep your head safe. A lot of people say that when the earthquake happens, it's really in your best interest to either get into a doorway or under a desk and table. These are things that you should definitely be doing. Now, things that you definitely want to stay away from are glass. And if you're outdoors, older structures that may collapse. Now, keep in mind with modern architecture, We're having a lot more buildings just built entirely with glass surfaces, glass windows. These can shatter, and you can never predict in which direction a large sheet of glass is going to fall. So even if you are in the vicinity of one of these, just stay safe. And above all else, if you're outside, aim for open areas. Areas like Japan and Tokyo will have designated evacuation centers They'll be listed on maps and you can look and be like, okay, the evacuation center is near here. And if you're indoors, be sure to use the stairs and not the elevators. So with these couple tips in mind, a lot of this has become much more public knowledge and much more focused on after this 2011 earthquake. Now, I had done a video on the Tokyo Lens channel a while back, I think about a year ago, uh, during the anniversary of the earthquake, talking about my experience. I had been fortunate, I guess, enough to be home during the time of the earthquake, and The house, the, the building that I was in definitely took some damage. TV almost fell over. But there were a few things that happened after this. You see, it was during this time that I realized instantly how truly important it is to protect your head. Everything started falling out of cabinets. Everything started falling over. The fridge fell over you see at the time the building I was living in I lived on the 11th floor and the higher you get up in a building the more you're going to feel the shake because Japanese buildings especially ones built after the 1980s from like the 1990s and on I don't know the exact date there was a new building code put in place so that the buildings the newer the building basically the stronger it's going to be because it's up to date on the new code. In the 80s, I believe, again, do not quote me, I believe before 1985, there was a totally separate building code that was proven not to be as effective. And under the new building code, the buildings will sway a lot more. So if you're in a tall or narrow building, the closer you are to the top, the more the building is going to sway back and forth. Now, if you ever watched any of the videos online from the March 11th earthquake of 2011, you will probably know that there were video after video after video of the skyscrapers in Shinjuku just swaying back and forth at a level that was visible from the ground and from people shooting videos out the window towards other buildings. So keep in mind that it may be difficult to hold your ground You even if you climb under a table or stand in a doorway, you may find it incredibly difficult just to stand up. And the awareness of that when going into the situation is a huge help. In fact, just knowing what to do in the situation is a huge help. So before I get into sharing more tips, I want to tell you guys about the very first earthquake I ever experienced. It was in Japan. You see, I'm from Canada, and we don't often have earthquakes, but the very first earthquake I experienced, I was doing kind of like a a homestay type situation, staying with a friend's family, and we were on the second floor of their home, and... This earthquake hit, it was something like a magnitude 6.5, 6.8, somewhere around there. It was big, and it was shaking quite violently. The entire earthquake only lasted for a couple seconds. Maybe four, five seconds. But four, five seconds of intense shaking can feel pretty close to a full minute. Now, when this finished, stuff had fallen down, the, the, the bed that I was laying on had like shifted across the room. It, it was quite the shake. And I think I was in my my first couple days in this home, staying with these people, and I didn't really know the, the etiquette, the protocol, what to do. So I stayed in my room, I was quite young, and I figured, well, you know, they're, they're probably going to come check on the foreigner right make sure that I haven't died or make sure that everything's okay um, and sure enough I heard a door slide open and I heard someone coming down the hallway the the they walked right past my room I heard the washroom door open shortly after I heard the toilet flush and then the 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 back into the room and right back to sleep. The next morning, we sat down and had breakfast. Pretty much everybody in the whole household was like, "Ah, oh, yeah, there was a bit of an earthquake what, last night, wasn't there?" To me, I, I was just shocked. Still, I was like, "This was my first earthquake ever." Are you, are you all just seriously sitting casually around the breakfast table, going, Oh yeah, there was a bit of an earthquake. Like my my bed moved the better part of a meter. Like, how are you guys?" Just, like, yeah, that's you kind of get used to it in Japan. The thing to know about the earthquake is it's, it's not the earthquake itself that's scary. It's the unknown as the earthquake hits. You see, when it hits, it might start soft, it might start strong, but you never really know where it's going to go. Is it going to get stronger? Is it going to stop? Or is the direction of the shake going to change? Now, a lot of people don't know this, so if you're especially living outside of Japan or if you're new to Japan, I'll share a pretty big earthquake tip with you. The direction of the shake is incredibly important in terms of how the structure that you are in will handle it. So the majority of Japanese structures are meant to be able to handle side-to-side shaking or swaying. But there are almost no structures that can handle an up and down jolting shake. And more often than not, it's this up and down shake that feels the scariest and can actually destroy the structure that you are in. So keeping in mind, if you're in an earthquake and it's shaking side to side, for the most part, you should be okay, providing that you're in a modern building that is up to code. Again, take precautions Make sure you're safe. Don't just be like, oh, I'm in a new building. This is very safe. Make sure you're aware of your surroundings. Get your head covered. If you're in an older building, you know, don't don't freak out. Make sure you take the same steps, but just be aware that the chances of damage are much higher. And then more than anything, Know that if the shaking changes from side to side to up and down, that this is where your highest risk is. Again, don't panic. Make sure you communicate with those around you. But getting back into some actual tips. So after the March 11th earthquake, Japan kind of changed. Japan's approach to awareness when it came to how to deal with earthquakes became very, very different. So it was constantly on TV, there's always refreshes, all these signs showing the evacuation points were updated, there's been a lot of progress. And so a few things that you'll want to know that I've learned over the past couple years that hopefully will help is number one thing that I want to share right out of the gate is if you've never been in an earthquake before, please understand that aftershocks happen. And more often than not, the aftershocks can do just as much, if not more damage than the initial earthquake, depending on the size of the aftershock. You see, I had a mechanic friend back in the day who always told me things will always fault before they break. If you catch the fault, you can usually protect yourself from the break when it happens, but most people don't catch the fault. And so There's a window, usually, before the initial earthquake and the aftershock, where people wonder, should I stay inside? Should I go outside? What should I do? In this case, the safest and, again, do your own research, don't entirely trust every word I'm saying. The general safest approach is to get out of the structure that you are in once the earthquake has stopped. If you are in a hotel or a school or an office building, there will usually be some kind of group that actually leads the evacuation effort. Now, for the most part you want to trust what they're saying but again you want to have your own knowledge and make sure that you're using common sense as well so listen for the announcements follow the people that you're with if you're just in a building entirely by yourself again it's best to try to use common sense which kind of feels like a sidestep so the what i was taught I'll just share what I was taught. I'm not going to say that this is the best way to do it, but I feel that it's the safest. Again, that is 100% personal opinion. So what I was taught is that between the first initial earthquake, especially if it was a large one, and the aftershock, you probably want to evacuate from the structure that you are in and get yourself to an evacuation point. Again, this is mostly for major Earthquakes. One of the reasons for this is this may have caused a fault in the structural integrity of that building. When the initial earthquake hit, I had actually gone down the stairs back in 2011 to take a to take a look at where the evacuation point was. And on my way down the stairs, all I saw was cracks in the walls and in the handles and everything the whole way down had a big enough aftershock hit after that and big aftershocks did hit it most likely could have done even more damage to the building so I got out I headed to the evacuation point and I waited there for probably about an hour hour and a half I think and in that time you know th- there's lots of announcements there's people at that time who were handing out bottles of water which was very helpful but your next thing that you're going to want to make sure that you have access to is things like food and water. Now, these more often than not are something that I would recommend that you prep far in advance. Ever since that March 11th earthquake back in 2011, I have always had a case of about six two liter bottles of water in my house at all times. I don't keep the case for more than about, I think, six to eight months on average, about every six to eight months, I will just order another case. And these cases are relatively cheap too. You can buy them from supermarkets or sometimes online for as little as 500 yen for six two liter bottles of water. But you'll need the water for everything from drinking to cooking to you name it. If the power goes out, if your uh, elevator stops, if you basically you know don't have access to utilities, you're gonna want at least that much water. And unfortunately, it's not going to be as easy as going to the convenience store because after a major earthquake, everyone rushes the convenience store. And you will find that the convenience stores are next to dead empty within an hour of it hitting. You see, after hitting the evacuation point up, the first thing I did is swing by the convenience store thinking I should probably grab things like water or perhaps tissue or toilet paper, just the basic amenities. I got to the convenience store and for the first time in my life, I saw empty shelves. Almost everything was gone. There was no water, there was beer and wine left, but even that had seemed to decrease quite a bit all the bread, towels, you name it, it was all gone. So making sure that you have things like toilet paper fully stocked in your house at all times, it got to a point where certain shops were actually locking up their toilet paper to the point where people would have to request it because there was no toilet paper in shops and convenience stores. And so people were starting to steal it from public washrooms, from restaurants, this, that, the next thing. So make sure that you have these basic amenities. I know the idea of keeping your house fully stocked is just kind of a normal thing that most people would typically expect, you know, keep your house stocked. But in a country like Japan, where natural disasters are kind of a part of daily life, I wouldn't say they're part of daily life, but they're, they're part of the package. Natural disasters are part of the package of living in Japan. So you need to take extra precautions. A few things that I recommend is not only keeping all the amenities stocked in your house, like toilet paper, uh, tissue, paper towels, water. I keep a very large stock of dry ramen noodles just in case. Um, I keep lots of cans of tuna just in case. But in addition to that, Tiny little things like making sure that at all times, no matter where you are, you're carrying a cell phone charger or just a portable battery or two of any kind and perhaps a multi cable to go along with them because you never know where you're going to be or what's going to happen when one of these emergencies hit. And if all of a sudden you are stuck in a unfavorable situation and your phone battery dies. I try, for the most part, whenever possible, to never let my phone battery go below 20% in Japan just because it feels like kind of a high-risk thing to do. It always feels like something could happen at any time. And if I'm under 20%, 20%, even if I'm at home, because the power could go out, we could get hit with a, a typhoon or, you know, we could get hit with another earthquake or anything that could knock the power out. So having these considerations, especially if you're from a country that doesn't typically get hit with earthquakes, it's something that you don't really think about. But since we are on the topic of phones, your phone can be both a great tool and your worst enemy in one of these situations. So back in 2011, very famously, one of the things that happened is that these cell networks went down incredibly quickly. There was almost no phone access. Pay phones, which have become few and very far between in Japan, even in Tokyo, were lined up with lines of literally dozens to hundreds of people trying to get in touch with their loved ones and you don't realize how incredibly vulnerable you are until you don't have any cell service and this also brought to light another major problem that japan has which is in comparison to other countries japan severely lacks access to public wi-fi it does exist it is getting better But there is a severe want for public Wi-Fi in Japan. You see, recently I've traveled to quite a few countries, including things like Italy, Australia, Canada, the US, and in almost every one of these countries, for the most part, wherever I went, I had some form of access to public Wi-Fi, or I was at least close enough to be able to access public Wi-Fi somewhere. In Japan, it's not quite that simple. So a few tips to help keep you safe at all times. Number one, there are apps that will give you access to public Wi-Fi spots that will show you where they are. And these apps will also be available offline. Uh, I will try to link one or two of these in the description If I forget, just kind of Google it. There's lots of information out there. And even if I link it in the description, the app may change if you're listening to this podcast a year later or two years later. So I don't want to put outdated information in there. But more than anything, one of my biggest tips is try to make sure that you have an offline map of Tokyo or at least the area that you are in downloaded into your phone at all times. There are entire offline app, <laughs> offline map apps that you can download, or Google also gives you the opportunity and option to download offline maps into Google Maps. I don't know about Apple Maps. I don't really use it. I haven't tried, but I would assume that it probably has a similar option. But making sure that you have your offline maps, making sure that you have knowledge of where public Wi-Fi is. And another really big one just in general is, okay, so about a year or two ago, I did a video on Tokyo Lens talking about, is it better to come to Japan with a SIM card or is it better to come to Japan with Wi-Fi? And a company called iVideo had provided me with a Wi-Fi device that I Tested and compared to a bunch of other things, like compared to my home Wi Fi, compared to public Wi Fi at Starbucks, and it was a decent device. And so I recommended it. They also gave like a little bit of a coupon code. This wasn't one of the ones where, you know, they paid me for it or anything like that. They just gave me the Wi Fi and they're like, if you like it, promote it. If, you know, if you continue to like it, we'll continue to, you know, we'll let you just use the Wi Fi for free. So I've been using that Wi-Fi now for about a year, and I'd say the biggest benefit that I have inside of that is that no matter where I go, I have Wi-Fi. And it's the same reason why if somebody is coming to Japan to visit, I really recommend Wi-Fi over a SIM card, because if there is a natural disaster while you are here, your SIM card will be rendered next to useless you won't be able to access the cellular network data, maybe, which is great because now we have a lot more smartphones than we did back in 2011. But the more reliable is going to be Wi-Fi. Back in 2011, when everything hit the fan, it was Wi-Fi and internet and VOIP that enabled people To communicate with all those around them because the cell networks, again, were just not working. So what I will do is I will put a link to the iVideo Wi-Fi in the description box of this podcast episode. Uh, again, the, I'll, I'll, I think I think I have a coupon code for that. Still, I, I do not know. I do not get any kickback from that. So the coupon code is only for daily rentals. There's also like a monthly rental, but it's super cheap and it's super quick. I've used it in a whole bunch of countries and all over Japan, never had a problem with it. Um, so if you want to, if you're interested, go for it. If not, totally cool. But I feel safer because I have Wi-Fi. But again, If you're looking at that Wi-Fi or a public Wi-Fi in a disaster, you never know what to expect. So have as much stuff downloaded onto your phone as physically possible. And again, if you don't know where to go in a disaster, my two biggest tips are avoid roads that are going to have older buildings and stuff that can fall on you. Stay in open areas as much as possible and find the evacuation area, especially if it's a major earthquake. But there's one more thing that I think it's important to be very, very aware of, especially if you are not from an island nation or a coastal nation, basically from a a nation like Japan where you're surrounded by water, and that is the threat of tsunami. So in the March 11, 2011 earthquake, I I think the story of it is hopefully resonates still to this day with a lot of people the earthquake did damage but what really did damage afterwards was the tsunami that hit japan it was absolutely devastating and unfortunately inside of that there were a great number of lives lost and injuries to be had simply because of misinformation or Lack of information. You see, there was an. I don't even want to tell this story, but there was an entire. I'm I'm just going. I'm going to simplify the story because the story itself is is a bit dark to share in its details. There was a group of individuals who was misinstructed to head to an evacuation site, and this evacuation site was close to the ocean. Now, had they gone in the opposite direction and climbed up the hill that was behind the building that they were in, they may have survived because when the tsunami hit, it it basically hit exactly where they were. But behind the building they were in, there was a rather large hill leading upwards inland and the tsunami wasn't able to reach that area. an entire group lost and a very sad story as i said i don't even want to get too deep into the details because of how sad it is but simply because of misinformation or lack of knowledge the tsunami are quite dangerous and even if you are in a place like tokyo there is still a possibility that it could hit so make sure if you do have any form of connection, whether it be Wi-Fi, whether you're lucky enough to have cellular and data connection, or whether you're just looking at public screens along with a whole bunch of other people, make sure that you keep yourself safe, not just against things like aftershocks, but against things like potential tsunamis. Now, all of this being said, this is mostly just kind of the, the the small tips that I've picked up or the things that are just really, really obvious to me now that I think may not be obvious to everyone else. There is a lot more information to be had, but these are kind of the basics, things like protect your head, make sure that you have... The, the necessary supplies, make sure you have the necessary materials around you. But there's a lot more to be learned. And in Japan, they actually have evacuation or emergency training sessions that are offered completely for free. There are ones, for example, in Ikebukuro, where you can do a short or long session that will train you against things like earthquakes or fires such on and so forth and they're completely free courses i believe you can register for them kind of book them online or you can do walk-in sessions i will try to find it and link it in the description box below the one that i've been into is ikebukuro there are definitely others throughout the city If you're gonna be in Japan for a longer period of time, if you're gonna be living here for a year or maybe even more, it might seem like it's not the most exciting or adventurous thing to do to go out to one of these evacuation training centers or emergency training centers and spend half a day there, but I guarantee you the knowledge and the experience you get is very worthwhile. When I went, we actually had earthquake simulation where you get under a table and it simulates a rather large earthquake and it can show you just how hard it is, even on hands and knees, to stay like with, without falling over in these earthquake situations. Hopefully, more than anything, this podcast and the opportunity to, you know, maybe go out to one of these centers will give you a chance to have this in your head, I think more than anything, it's important to remember that these can happen at any time. The news has honestly been saying since the 2011 earthquake that our next major earthquake is coming at any time. And during the past week with all the earthquakes we have had, it kind of always feels like it could happen at any time. And I think that's really the point. The point is just the awareness keep yourself safe. And I, I cannot overstate it. I really, really cannot overstate it. Make sure that your phone is charged and that you have portable batteries with you. The number of friends that I had who suffered greatly because their phone died while they were like using, trying to use maps to get home. They're like, I have the map downloaded on my phone. I'm good. I can get home. And then their phone dies. And so the number of people I know who were impacted because of this is is great. Additionally, Japan does have a whole bunch of emergency contact numbers in place for all different types of situations, everything from, you know, emergency numbers to police phone calls, even a disaster voice message service, which allows you to leave a message saying whether you're okay or, you know, call in and listen for messages from friends or loved ones. What I'll do is I will also link this in the podcast description just so that if you're in Japan or going to be in Japan for an extended period of time, you have access. Access to these numbers. It's all kind of in table format, so you can just select it and save it to your notes on your phone, whatever you want. But I hope that this episode has been useful to you. I hope it's given you some kind of value. I've tried to mix in some stories with some useful information. I know it may have felt like it was all over the place, but I definitely enjoyed having the chance to sit down and share this with you guys. This is an episode that I have been thinking about putting into video form for some time. And I'd love to know what you think of that. If you think that this would be a useful YouTube video and you'd like to know more about it on that platform and see it a little more visually, hit me up via Twitter or Instagram or drop something in the YouTube comments on pretty much any video. I still check all my comments all the time and let me know if you'd like to see that i'm saying this because i know there is a cross section of individuals who both watch the youtube channel and listen to the podcast as well as people who just listen to the podcast such on and so forth so again if you're interested in that let me know it would be a huge help and mean the world to me if you got any value from this at all If you would take a few seconds out of your day when we wrap up to jump over to iTunes and leave a review for the podcast, each one of those really helps me out. I also really enjoy reading them. I definitely appreciate it. So if you have a spare 30 seconds at the end of this, definitely jump over to iTunes and leave me a review. It would mean a lot. Otherwise, I just hope that in general, the information I have shared with you today is useful. Please take this more as a grain of salt, more as an appetizer than the full meal. And if this is a topic that you are interested in, I highly recommend taking a little bit more time to invest and do your own research. Learn about this in more detail. Learn the resources, learn what to expect, especially if it's a concern that you have. Put in the work and learn it for yourself. It will pay off in the long run if you ever get stuck in one of these disasters in Japan or in another country overseas. Just make this part of your general knowledge base and keep yourself safe. Thank you so much for joining today's episode. I really enjoyed having you guys here and you know I will talk to you again real soon.